Thanks to Grammarly for supporting Industry Focus. Grammarly is a communication tool that helps people improve their writing to be mistake-free, clear, and effective. Go to Grammarly.com slash fool to get 20% off a Grammarly premium account today. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Thursday, December 6th, and we're discussing micromobility. I'm your host, Nick Seipel, and today I'm joined by Motley Fool Senior Auto Analyst, John Rosevier Vice Skype. How you doing, John? I'm doing well, Nick. How are you? I'm doing great. You know, we were just talking about before the show, there is just so much news going on in the auto space and the micromobility space. So we've got a lot to talk about today. Uh, but, but first off, I just want to ask you about Waymo. Waymo yesterday opened up its uh, Waymo One ride-sharing service to the public uh, in Arizona. What's kind of your instant reaction to that and, and thoughts going forward? Uh, my first reaction is, well, the strong hint was they were going to do something by the end of 2018, and they have. Uh, we have to be careful calling it autonomous because these vehicles do have human drivers monitoring the system. Um, we don't like to say something is fully level four autonomous if there's a backup driver ready to grab the controls. But um, I, certainly this is a, a, a prototype of what they hope will become a level four system soon. Uh, my reaction is it's interesting. It'll be very interesting to watch how the public reacts to this. Uh, it will be interesting to see uh, – what Waymo has to say about when the human drivers will be going away. Uh, they, they are, they're number one. They have done it before anybody else. Uh, GM has been talking for a while about doing it next year. Uh, but Waymo has beat them to market. Whether that matters in the long run, I have no idea. But, um, I, I guess that's my reaction that, that this is interesting. It's a landmark moment. Um, it is still not quite full autonomy cause we've got the human safety backup drivers in the cars, but, uh, we will look back on this as a big deal. Uh, definitely, John. I mean, they're just in Arizona today in the Phoenix area, but you know, as they continue expanding out, I mean, it, it, it's a phenomenon that's going to it's going to you know sweep the country. I'm sure over, over the coming years. Um, and then before we get uh, into our, go ahead. Uh, just the thinking is that at least in urban areas, that this will make a lot of sense in time. Um, and this is this is uh, in one sense, it's a baby step, but it is a landmark moment too. They have deployed. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we have liftoff. We'll, we'll see yeah, where we exactly, we'll see where exactly. we go. Um, and then, John, uh, before we pivot into micromobility, I, I had a, a listener question from Twitter. Uh, Simon on Twitter asked, "You asked about your thoughts on car auction services ticker KAR." Uh, he said, "It seems like a value to him with a, with a great opportunity to grow. Plus, their margins are getting better, but it's been selling off. Uh, what are your thoughts on car auction services?" Let's talk about a little bit about who they are. First of all, I, when you trade in a, a car or when more often when you return your car at the end of the lease, uh, used cars go to auctions. Uh, there are a few big auction services. Uh, one of them is called Mannheim. They're kind of the dominant one in the U.S. They have a big rival called Odessa. Uh, and then there are some smaller independent auctions uh, that remarket these cars at auction. And that's where your dealer gets their used cars. It's where specialist brokers get cars and so on. These are wholesale auctions. Uh, that's the business that car is in. They own Odessa. They also own another, uh, company that is in a parallel, but somewhat separate, uh, business of selling, uh, wrecked cars, cars that are salvaged, that, that, that you know have been totaled, uh, that are sold for parts or rebuilding or whatever. Uh, what Car has done that is interesting is they have tried to build uh, an online uh, smartphone-based uh, auction service, uh, working with their rivals and and uh, 
counterparts around the world so that I mean, the, the eventual vision is that, you know, a dealer in Indiana can see all the Corvettes coming to market in the world and bid on them as they come or whatever, you know, any other kind of car. I say Corvette because there used to be a local dealer here who sold only Corvettes and that's how they did it. They would go to Mannheim and Odessa auctions and buy them up, uh, which is, you know, something you can do with this system. But the uh, car was hoping to build a platform where you could do it on an even grander scale. Uh, in terms of why is it selling off? Uh, you know, I have not done a deep dive into their finances, so so I can't say that. But it looks like they popped after second quarter, and now they're just kind of settling back down to where they were before the pop following third quarter results. Uh, so I would dig a little bit deeper into that where their guidance changes or something like that. I agree that uh, they have a great opportunity to grow. Used car sales tend to jump as the economy goes south. And if we're late in the cycle and a recession is looming, uh, that will favor used cars. Uh, and, and it does look like profits are growing and their margins are improving. Um, it's certainly a company worth a deeper dive. Uh, sorry, I don't have a conclusive answer for you right now. But, but uh, yeah, I would look at, at what they've done over the last three, four quarters. Sure, John. And, and, you know, as we were mentioning before the show, you know, we see GM and Ford doing some restructuring. I mean, that, those are signs that at least those major OEMs think we may be hitting a bit of a cyclical top in auto sales and maybe looking at a downswing, which would fit that thesis having to do with, with kind of a spike in used car sales just based on the, what the cycle is at. So it'll be something to follow, but uh, uh, definitely inter interesting opportunity. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Okay, John, let's let's go ahead into our main topic, which is, is micromobility. And, and First off, just off the bat, what is micromobility? What should you know investors know about this space just in general? Uh, micromobility is the last mile. It's electric scooters. It's bike rentals. Uh, it's mostly an urban phenomenon. Uh, what investors should know is that it's exploding. Uh, the valuations of some of the companies that have jumped in here just in the last year or two uh, with the scooter rentals that you can get by smartphone app and so forth uh, – uh, you know, the valuations have soared, at least on paper. None of them have come to the public markets yet. So we haven't seen uh, how that's doing. Uh, in a lot of in places like San Francisco and D.C., uh, these scooters are everywhere. And, um, you know, this is a very recent phenomenon, even, you know, a year, sometimes even less. And and more and more people are using them or trying them out. It's really easy. You download the app. Um, for a very small fee, you can take the scooter and, and just go and you don't have to return it. You just leave it where you end up or whatever. And this is this is seen as as, as addressing uh, what we sometimes call in shipping is the last mile problem. This is, um, you know, how do you get from the bus stop to home? How do you get from the train station to your apartment? If it's three quarters of a mile, uh, sure, you could walk. But what if you've got a heavy package? Maybe you could throw that on your back and jump on a scooter. Maybe you could put it in a basket and ride a bike, something like that. Uh, these are these are the kinds of applications that people are thinking about because these things have become so cheap. It's the falling price of batteries. It's the falling price of the GPS trackers that, that allow the companies both to tell you where they are when you want one and to go pick them up later on. Uh, and, and of course, cheap capital has made this uh, something that, that is really starting to explode. Um, so that's what it is. Uh, this is it's not just scooters, although that's what we talk about right now. It's also bike rentals. Uh, people who've been to New York know about City Bike, uh, which has been going on for several years. Uh, there are these stations around the city where you can sort of rent a bike for the hour and just return it to a station, another station. Um, Ford has a business called Go Bike that they bought uh, last year or the year before. I think it was about a year ago, uh, which is similar. They're operating in Seattle, looking at some other markets. Um, but the, the scooters are, are, are an even simpler thing because they're electric scooters. You hop on and it goes. 
Right, John, and, and this has been just a phenomenon over the past year or so where we've seen uh, you know, se- several uh, private companies come to market. Uh, Bird and Lime are two of the largest ones. Uh, just within 12 months, Bird hit 10 million scooter rides in that first year. They, about 3.6% of the total U.S. population ha- has used one of these, these scooter devices just in, in the pe- less than a year, which just for context, bike sharing has been going on for about eight years, and they're at 13% penetration. Car sharing has been around for about 18 years, and it's at 16% penetration. So that, that 3.6% amount doesn't sound significant, but to, to have gotten there so quickly is very remarkable. Um, and just kind of follow up on you know how you use it. These are dockless scooters that are just you know folks reserve them on their on their smartphone. Typically, cost costs a dollar to reserve, and then 15 cents a minute thereafter to to use the device. Uh, whenever you're done with it, you know you ride it to your destination, leave it on the sidewalk, or or what have you, and uh, and then the next person can kind of come up and and reserve that device. Um, you mentioned too as well, John, that uh, it's kind of to serve that last mile problem, and, and it's. Part of that problem has been related to the rise of ride sharing. Um, so, according to the National Household Travel Survey, over 60% of trips um, are less than five miles in length, which would make them appropriate uh, for a bike or scooter. But uh, about 60%, another 60% of people who use ride sharing in, in large, dense cities, if ride sharing did not exist, would have used public transportation. They would have walked, they would have biked, uh, mm-hmm. they, would, they wouldn't have used ride sharing. And so, what, so what we're seeing is, you know the rise of Uber and Lyft coming into these these urban areas has actually led to an increase in traffic as as this surge of ride sharing riders has come in uh, to service the market where otherwise this traffic wouldn't have been present. Folks would have used a different transportation system. So so these these bikes and scooters, what they really do is is help reduce uh, traffic in in urban uh, cities. They encourage uh, pedestrians who might have walked or, or or done something otherwise to use the scooter instead of ride sharing, which. Uh, encourages um, more, uh, actually, Uber and Lyft drivers because they can have longer fares for the, for the people who actually use their service, and it kind of help helps with the traffic problem. I, I pulled a stat in China who is really kind of China's really kind of bought in uh, to bike sharing. Um, uh, the overall uh, share of trips on bike has doubled uh, to 11.6 percent since they launched dockless bike systems in China, and which has led overall congestion in some of the largest cities in that country, Beijing, Shenzhen. Um, has dropped four to seven percent. So, so we can really see uh, a, a tangible benefit um, uh, to traffic just as a result of these things. These things rolling out to uh, you know consumers. Yeah, and they tend to penetrate neighbors where neighborhoods where maybe the people setting up the dock bike systems a decade ago didn't put a dock. You know, it's it's it, it's lower income folks. It's it's folks who maybe don't live. Uh, you know, on the major routes or near the major routes, uh, you can take a scooter and then there are scooters in your neighborhood. And, you know, as more people do it, they get they find their way to where the people are. That's that's one of the advantages of the dockless system. Uh, and over time, you know, if you own one of these companies and are managing one of these companies, you can sort of see the patterns and see where the, the people are. This was, in fact, Ford's thinking with go bikes, that they would watch where the go bikes went uh, and then, you know, set up maybe a shuttle service. Uh, you know, if there are a lot of people coming from neighborhood X to neighborhood Y, well, okay, well, maybe we can offer a low-cost sort of crowdsourced shared shuttle doing that, too, uh, on the rainy days, on the cold days, on the days when people don't want to ride a bike. Uh, you know, they saw them as, as sort of partners. So that's an interesting way uh, that someone could build on one of these businesses as well. Sure, John. On the second half of the show, let, let's talk about 
kind of the business of micromobility, where are the opportunities to invest today, where are things growing. Uh, but first, a message from our sponsor. Thanks to Grammarly for supporting industry focus. Grammarly is a communication tool that helps people improve their writing to be mistake-free, clear, and effective. Their free product reviews uh, critical spelling and grammar issues, while Grammarly Premium adds on uh, advanced punctuation, structure, and vocabulary suggestions, and improvements for conciseness and readability. And you can customize those to your audience. So if you're writing something for your business, you can kind of customize uh, the suggestions that you get. If you're writing something personal, uh, you can customize those as well. You know, I use Grammarly Premium to make sure my writing is, is as good as, I, as it can be. You know, even though I think of myself as someone who has great, good grammar, Grammarly's always giving me something that I messed up. So it's really a service that is really great for folks who are trying to improve their writing. Um, so go to Grammarly.com slash fool, and you can get 20% off your Grammarly premium account today. That's Grammarly, Grammarly.com slash fool for 20% off your Grammarly premium account. If only Grammarly worked with the spoken word. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah, maybe so say save Austin podcast, some work right? no, back there behind the glass uh, uh, for the neat, things that we messed up. It's a neat tool. It's yeah. definitely a neat tool for writers. Yes. Yeah. Okay, John. Well, let's go ahead and talk about you know the business of micromobility, and there's kind of I would say four different ways that the companies are are interacting with this trend. First, you have the pure plays. So these are the, these are the actually the, the scooter companies that are that are running these mm -hmm. uh, these scooter services that have kind of came to market this year. We've got ride sharing companies, Uber and Lyft. They're getting involved in this space. We've got automotive OEMs. Uh, Ford and GM have both uh, took some steps to get involved in this space. Then we've got the hardware companies. Um, so uh, Xiaomi is, is one of the major manufacturers right now. So let's kind of go through that list and, and kind of break down these companies. So, so talking about the pure plays right now, there, there are several different um, companies operating. They all have very interesting names, Bird, Lime, Skip, uh, Spin, Scoot. It's got to be a short word that fits on the scooter. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. And it's, it's got to yeah. be some kind of, a, tell, you know, you can look at the name and it tells you what it's trying to do. Um, mm -hmm. And the two big players here are, are Bird and Lime. They're both based on the equity of the, that they've risen. They're both unicorns. Um, and they really, when it comes to their sales growth, have really just jumped out ahead of the rest of the market. Uh, since October, 17, uh, October 2017, their relative monthly sales are up close to 100 times over that period uh, compared to some of their other, other providers. Um, what are your thoughts just looking at these? Uh, uh, another company to mention, actually, just, just as an aside, Razor Scooters, the uh, the, the kids' toy from the early 2000s. They also have a ride, uh, a scooter sharing service in Long Beach, San Diego, Tempe, Arizona. Um, so really, anybody that, that's touching the, the scooter space, uh, it, you know, has has came into that market. Um, what are, what are your thoughts on these pure plays, and uh, you know, what opportunities there might be be in that space? Well, this is like anything. I mean, there's all of a sudden a lot. Of, I mean, like any new niche opens up. I mean, like we've seen with, for instance, marijuana stocks. Uh, you know, there's this neat idea that starts to deploy. There are only a few places to invest. And so those get bid way up. As more companies enter, I think valuations will sort themselves out over time. Uh, the cost of entry here is not real high uh, because, I mean, everybody's buying the same scooters pretty much. Um, but, 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 you know, you do need to develop the infrastructure and the software and the 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 app and so forth. Um, I think I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, which of these companies, Bird, Lime, and maybe one or two others that are a little further behind and just emerging, uh, which of them develop traction and where are we going to see? You know, regional players. Are we going to see uh, one dominant player? Are we going to see two dominant players? Where you have you know scooters of two different colors scattered all over your city and, and you pick the one that that's the one with the app that you go with more often or what are, I mean, are we going to see, um, 
differentiators emerge. Should I prefer bird over lime? Why? You know, that, that kind of thing. Uh, it, it's it, long story short, it's very early. It's very early to see where this is going, who's going to be able to make money and who the dominant players are going to be. But but it's it's clear that this is an idea with some traction at this point. Yeah, John, and one thing to add there, too, when it comes to you know how it shakes out versus versus number of businesses is going to be how these municipalities react uh, to how they want to regulate these scooters. I know San Francisco has placed a cap on the number of scooters that can be in the city. Is that a trend we're going to see? If that is, then, of course, the players that are already in those markets will, will be in position to benefit as we kind of lock in. Uh, you know, who the competitors can be. That too. I mean, there seems to have been a couple of, of cities where the scooters came in and then suddenly they're all over the place. And then everybody said, wait a minute, we got too many scooters, <laughs> you know, because people just leave them. You know, you go to where you go. I mean, that's part of the appeal. You lean it up against the building when you arrive and it, it, and it's done and somebody else comes and gets it later on. Uh, eventually, if you've got 18 scooter companies trying to compete and they're all bringing in scooters, they're all over the place. And it's, you know, it, it reaches the point of being a mess and being th- something that people will object to. Uh, so, yes, that does sort it out. I, I, I think this is one of several emerging transportation areas where cities need to get a little quicker about developing policies and developing rules and maybe talking to other cities about what they're doing and what has and hasn't worked. I mean, this is sort of a, you know, a mayor's council kind of thing that that, that maybe needs to be sorted out sooner rather than later, right along with, with you know, docked bikes and autonomous taxis and all of this other stuff that is emerging right now that is going to revolutionize how we get around cities. Yeah, John, and let's let's talk about uh, docked bikes a little bit. You know, talking about uh, you know these ride sharing companies that are that are playing in the uh, in the micro mobility space. Lyft uh, just this past week um, finalized their acquisition of Motivate, uh, which is the largest operator of bike sharing systems in the United States. You know, you had mentioned Ford Go Bike in San Francisco, City Bike in New York City. They also operate Ca- Capital Bike Share in D.C. Um, according to Lyft, in, in connection with that merger, more than 80% of U.S. bike share rides occurred on Motivate Systems in the past year. So you're really seeing Lyft push into this dockless space. In addition to, they, mm-hmm. they, they've ro- started rolling out some scooters in the past year. What are your thoughts on this Motivate acquisition and, and what kind of uh, advantages it might give Lyft uh, in the micromobility area? Well, everybody wants to build the whole chain. I mean, just to go back to Ford, uh, you know, Ford's vision, uh, the, I know this from talking to execs about a year ago, is is you know, you have an app that can get you everything. It can get you a parking space. If you're driving your own car, it can get you a bike. It can get you a ride on a shuttle. It can get you in time, perhaps an autonomous taxi. It, all of this all the way up and down that, that, you know, you have this one app, which they call Ford pass, and it offers you, uh, all of these mobility options, depending on where you are. I think Ford is not the only company with that vision. I think, uh, you know, Lyft would like to, to, um, have a piece of if you have to walk three blocks to get your lift of of that three blocks on the scooter or on the bike or whatever as well. And, and, you know, motivate, as you say, operates a lot of these systems for other people that are branded. Otherwise, I, I think it's a way to get, um, you know, into a part of the business that that doesn't depend on whose bikes are the best this week or whatever, that that is going to be a more sustainable revenue source over time. Um, I, I think it was a smart move. Uh, we'll see how it shakes out. It's going to be one where it's going to be a few years before we really know. But but it's, you know, again, it's another company thinking through the vision of, of being somewhat more end to end operating from one single app. 
Sure. And then uh, another thing about this motivated acquisition that just kind of stood out to me, as I mentioned earlier, there is a little bit of risk with these micromobility companies that maybe some regulation comes in uh, from cities, mm-hmm. maybe limiting the number of, uh, of you know bikes or scooters that can be on the street. But uh, acquiring Motivate, they have these existing docked services um, that already have agreements with cities and already have physical assets in place. So I think Lyft probably is less exposed to uh, those regulatory risks, given that Motivate already has these relationships and contracts uh, with municipalities to put these bikes in place. Yeah, I mean, if if you know New York at all, city bike isn't going anywhere. Uh, Ford's approach is to come in and work with the city government and say, okay, what can we do where and when? And so they do it sort of top down. So, you know, where they've come in, uh, they are working with the government. But, you know, again, some of these other scooter things, it's it's been sort of, you know, beg forgiveness rather than ask permission and and then the cities have had to react and and i think your point is a good one that that this is a this is a somewhat more stable business than than perhaps uh some of these new scooter companies and and perhaps over time a more stable revenue source sure and then uh, let's let's spend a you know a minute or two talking about uber as well we gave lyft some time uh Uber is also getting into this into this space. They acquired Jump, which is a, a leading e-bike service, uh, for two hundred million dollars earlier this year, and they've integrate, integrated that into their app. That actually has rolled out in DC, where you open up your Uber app, and there's a, a button at the top where you can say, you know, get a get an Uber X, or you can switch it over and get get a bike. So it's all it's all integrated uh, therein as well. Just in the past week, some rumors have come out that. Uh, Uber is trying to position itself to make an acquisition of either Bird or Line, which, as we mentioned, are the two largest players in the, in the pure play space. Um, is it kind of the same story for Uber here, just trying to totally integrate top to bottom, uh, you know, these transportation opportunities? Is there anything different about what Uber's doing that maybe stands out to you? Well, I mean, Uber has an app that a lot of people open already. You land in a city. Well, okay, Uber, where are the cars? Uh, you know, if Uber, to the extent that Uber can build more and more services into that app that are right there when you open it, uh, they will benefit. You know, oh, I can take a bike. Oh, I can reserve a hotel. Oh, I can do this. You know, I can get a car share. Um, you know, they're thinking in those terms, too. You know, we have this app. Uh, what else can we load into it that somebody who lands in an unfamiliar city might be interested in? Sure, and then and then the you know uh, one kind of public area where we can invest in, in, in micromobility. Let's talk about GM and Ford, what they're doing uh, when it comes to acquisitions. There are acquisitions in this space as well. Uh, recently, Ford acquired Spin for a hundred million dollars. That this is an e-scooter company. Um, they're also also introduced the the Ford Go Bike Plus e-bike earlier this year uh, in connection with with their San Francisco uh, uh, Go Bike service. Um, yeah, what are the opportunities there for these OEMs? You know, they, they don't have the, the app infrastructure that, that the pure plays and that the ride sharers have. However, they do have capability when it comes to manufacturing that I don't think these these other folks can match, at least not in the near term. Well, I mean, Ford is, is has been quite loudly talking about the fact that it wants to transition to being both an automaker and a provider of of shared mobility over time. I mean, they do have an app uh, that doesn't have a whole lot to it yet, but they are building out an infrastructure. It's called uh, Ford Pass. And uh, again, their vision is a lot like what I was just talking about with Uber. Uh, You can get a car, you can get a parking space, you can get a bike, you can get, who knows, a scooter, a shuttle ride, whatever, um, over time. And and they're going to add as many things as they can to this, hoping to capture you know, the customer for whatever their mobility needs are. 
Uh, GM is going a different route here. I, I mean, we know that GM has the subsidiary cruise that is is um, looking to launch an autonomous taxi service, uh, as we talked about before, with with as a rival to Waymo. Uh, but what GM also has going on is they're they're gearing up to mass produce autonomous taxis. Presumably, they will be delighted to sell them to Uber or Lyft or anyone else. GM is sort of playing. Uh, you know, the company selling pickaxes and jeans to gold miners in 49, right? It's, it, it, it's that role. Uh, they, they are um, building a foldable e-bike, and presumably they will be delighted to, to bang these out for any company that wants to set up an e-bike service anywhere in the world uh, at t- in time. And it, it comes with some integration into their OnStar platform, which they have greatly expanded uh, from beyond being just the button you push in the car when you crash to call 911, uh, which is where it started. Uh, it's, it's, it's becoming their platform for, for um, you know, networked uh, transportation. Um, and, and yes, they do own a stake in Lyft, uh, although GM and Lyft have not quite parted ways, but they have gone in different directions from where they were a couple of years ago. So I would downplay the importance of that right now. But I, I do think GM is looking at... Um, you know, as, as uh, Josh Wolf, uh, venture capitalist, said this week, uh, you know, the smart thing to do uh, whenever there's something like this with with low barriers to entry and a lot of entrance is to be the arms dealer, right? Is to be the one selling the pickaxes to the to the gold rush miners or or the jeans, as Levi Strauss found out. <laughs> you know, that that turned into a good business. I, I think GM is, although they are talking about launching their own taxi service, I think they are very much thinking about being the arms dealer here. Uh, and and this builds on what they've done with the autonomous taxi with their subsidiary cruise automation, uh, building an e-bike. Yeah, we'll sell it to anybody. We've got a platform. Maybe they will operate e-bikes on their own in some areas where that makes sense for them under um, their Maven uh, car sharing subsidiary or under something else to be determined, maybe under cruise. But but it, it's interesting that GM is trying to set itself up in that position, in the in the position of, you know, we're making the products that facilitate these businesses come talk to us and we'll sell you what you need. Sure, John. And and let's talk about, yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned kind of being the arms dealer and, and the whole picks and shovels and jeans uh, approach, because when it comes to these scooters, there's another really interesting way to play it, and that's the hardware for these scooters, the folks who make the actual scooter that these folks use. Um, and Xiaomi is really, at least when it comes to the public markets, uh, the big player right now. Xiaomi, as folks may know, is a, a device manufacturer in China. They make smartphones. They make really a, a staggering amount of different products. Um, they make their own scooter, which is used by uh, by several uh, different uh, uh, pure play players, inclu- including Spin, Bird, and Lyft. But they also own uh, Segway 9Bot. Uh, they own 20% of that company. Um, and Segway 9Bot is the largest scooter manufacturer in the world. They're the same company you think of as the traditional Segway. They also make uh, um, these scooters. Their 9Bot scooter sales grew six times in 2018, and they sold four out of the five scooters that were sold worldwide. Um, mm-hmm. They currently have a valuation over $1.5 billion and are expecting uh, or considering an IPO next year, according to Bloomberg. You know, what are your thoughts when it comes to the, these hardware players, you know, the Xiaomi and then, then on the private side, Segway, Ninebot, what opportunities they have? Because they are really selling to every single one of these uh, uh, manufacturers. And uh, yeah, their devices are, are powering almost all of these, all of, all of these uh, operators. Well, to some extent, it's kind of the same problem we see with autonomous vehicles. I mean, Xiaomi is a 
business, as you point out, with fingers in lots of different pies, uh, how much does it profit from the scooter trend? Um, I think if Segway 9 bot comes to market, that that's going to have a great deal of interest if this trend continues and sustains. Uh, it should, if because you know they are the, the at the moment at least the major arms dealer. The question is, uh, is there somebody who could disrupt them, who could or, or could at least underprice them, or come out with something a, a more competitive entry? And we would have to dive uh, a little deeper into there. But but um, it's awfully early to call the winners here. Of course, but at the same time, these companies are worth watching. I'm not sure, just as I'm not sure I would tell somebody to buy Alphabet for Waymo right now, I'm not sure I would tell somebody to buy Xiaomi for scooters right now. But, uh, you know, as, as, as these businesses grow, uh, you may see spinoffs, you may see tracking stocks that make it worthwhile to own the parent company uh, looking forward toward that. Right. And, and, and we can talk about, too, that just the fact that one manufacturer or a couple of manufacturers are really the main supplier for this entire industry uh in a way shows like there's hard to for any of these operators to really stand out from one another when their hardware is basically the same the infrastructure that, that you use to kind of access and, and do the tracking is very similar um so, so that's a risk for these operators in that if, if they can't you know start making their own devices or find a way to differentiate themselves then they're really you know putting themselves in a, in a position where it's it's going to be a commodity market and folks could care less which, which you know uh, app they end up using which is of course not great for uh, anyone gaining significant market share. Right. It's also not great for margins either because I mean you know if it costs me three bucks to take the bird scooter and two dollars and eighty cents to take the lime scooter and they're both right in front of me I'm taking the lime every time right. <laughs> but, yeah. but but lime's making less money on that ride. Uh, you know, which which then goes back to well, okay, maybe we need to talk about buying Ninebot instead of buying Bird or Lime. Um, this is this is the same problem people have batted around for several years with Uber and Lyft. You, you know, if if the ride is just a low cost commodity and and it's everywhere, uh, then where are the profits? And again, I think I think before we can start to call winners or losers, we need to see how this emerges somewhat. Uh, you may find. Uh, some of these companies are able to sign deals with cities where they're effectively a monopoly in a given city. You know, uh, if you want to get around Chicago, you may only have one choice, for instance, um, or whatever. Uh, we may see that emerge over time. And then, you know, the, the race becomes who can lock up the most lucrative uh, urban deals or the most urban deals uh, and the steadiest revenue streams and, and negotiate the highest prices or the, or the best margins. Uh, it's very early. Again, uh, I understand investors want to come running in here, um, but I, I think we need to watch this a little more and see where it goes before we can start to say, hey, that's the investment opportunity. That said, uh, it does seem like scooters are an idea with some traction. And, and if Segway Ninebot uh, creeps towards an IPO, uh, I will be watching that very carefully. Sure, yeah, and let's let's maybe th throw a little cold water on you know, kind of the, these players, and let's let's look at kind of the unit economics of these of these you know scooters and devices. Um, you know, according to some reporting uh, from the information, I've seen several several different numbers, but we'll, we'll go with what the information has because they have the kind of the full cost structure, um, and it's taken from Bird Investor Materials. Uh, the average Xiaomi scooter that Bird had, was, bought, at least when these numbers came out uh, over the summer, was about $551. Um, and on average, that scooter generated about $3.65 per ride. Um, 
So you're getting 365 cents of revenue per ride. However, they have to spend $1.72 on average for charging costs. You have to pay uh, just freelance individuals to go pick these scooters up off the street and charge them each night and then drop them back off um, on the street. So that adds an additional cost. They spend about 51 cents per ride on repairs, about 41 cents per ride in credit card fees, another 20 cents per ride on fees for city permits, 6%, 6 cents on customer uh, support, and 5 cents on insurance. What does that give you? That gives you, you get about 70 cents per ride in gross profit, which gets you to about a 19% gross profit margin. Well, how does that get us to break even? Uh, based on the numbers that I've seen, you're averaging about five to six rides per day. Um, if you get about five rides per day at a 70 cent uh, gross profit, you're gonna make about $3.50 a day. To, to hit that $551 uh, that it cost to acquire the scooter originally, it would take about 157 days or 5.25 months for Bird to break even on a scooter at that price point. Um, of course, the average life for these scooters, based on the information that, that we, that you know, industry <laughs> executives and so have sent out, is that you usually get about one to two months before they need to be replaced. So just, just doing that math, if it takes five months to break even and it only lasts two months, we really need it to see working. some new hardware <laughs> for this to make sense uh, as a business. And, you know, I, I've seen some more more recent numbers that, that Bird suggests that, you know, they've brought down some of their prices. But this is a real issue when you have a product that is not differentiated, that we're all buying from the same supplier, and the unit economics, at least from the numbers we've had available to date, do not suggest that these, uh, you know, scooters are profitable over their lifetime. There's going to need to be some more development in this space before, you know, these companies really make sense as long-term investments. Yeah, I guarantee somewhere, probably multiple somewhere, as people are looking at, okay, how do we design a four seasons urban scooter that lasts two years? Uh, you know, and what does that cost? And how do we deliver it for under a thousand dollars so that it makes sense for a company like Bird and Lime? Uh, somebody is looking at that problem. Um, I couldn't begin to imagine what those scooters will look like. They may be, you know, heavy as heavy as who knows what, but. Um, but yeah, clearly, clearly, this is this is another area where there's going to be need to be more innovation uh, because um, a scooter that lasts, as you point out, to make this business work, if the scooter only lasts a month and a half, it needs to be a lot cheaper than it is, uh, or we need scooters that aren't five times more expensive that last five to ten times longer. Exactly, and and. and- Bird is doing something interesting um, as well, you know, along these lines. You know, you say that the unit economics don't necessarily make sense for the provider. They just rolled out a new service called Bird Platform, where they're going to allow independent entrepreneurs to purchase these scooters at cost, um, use kind of Bird's infrastructure, uh, their servicing infrastructure, their, you know, uh, ability to kind of hail and reserve the uh, scooters through their apps in exchange for a 20% of the cost of each ride, um, you know, as kind of a Bird's uh, servicing fee. what are your thoughts on that? Because to me, when I saw that, you know, I, you know, I'd, I'd seen these numbers about the unit economics and how maybe it doesn't make sense at scale. And you see Bird kind of pivoting a little bit to say, hey, you guys, you independent providers, you know, you, you worry about making money on the hardware, all those sorts of things. We'll take our 20 percent service fee and make money that way. What are your thoughts to that approach, how sustainable that may be long term as, as kind of an alternative uh, to kind of running things top to bottom? Well, my my first thought is Bird is looking at you know what they've got built, chargers, mechanics, so forth, and you know how do we make more money off that? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you know how do how do we how do we monetize that further? How do we keep 
those people busy? How do we keep more scooters at those chargers around the clock? And, and so forth and so on. And, and this is a, a quick way to do that without significant investment. Uh, you know, they probably had to build some software and have a few people doing customer service here, but, but they don't have to, you know, actually go out and deploy much further. Uh, I, I think that, as you noted, this suggested that, uh, They'd like to be making more money off what they're spending, right. <laughs> obviously, uh, which suggests that, 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 you know, the level of profitability isn't sufficient for their investors. Um, otherwise, they would be doing what Uber did for a while, which is spending money on expansion, on busting into new markets, on, on aggressively uh, putting stakes in the ground before their rivals get there over and over, which, which seems to be not where they're putting 100% of their effort. Yeah, John. So basically, you know, for investors, takeaway here is this is still in a developing area. It's still, I mean, it's an emerging trend that I do expect to grow over the long term. However, there are some real questions on the economics of these companies right now that need to be worked out before they really make sense, you know, as long term investments. And of course, you know, most of these companies aren't public yet. So, you know, even if you would be tempted to buy it, you know, where they're at right now, there's really not an opportunity to do so. I do want to add one last thought here before we go away. Um, Somebody's going to be making money off this. The, the scooters uh, seem to be getting traction. It seems to be a good idea. Somebody is going to do the, Somebody is going to figure out the formula to make money off this. It's a little early to see who that person is going to be, and it might be somebody we don't expect. You know, who knows? Maybe General Motors will come into this in three years with with the killer scooter that they're making themselves in an unused factory somewhere. Uh, we don't know, and, and that's just spitballing. Of course, it could be Bird, it could be Lime, it could be one of the entrants that we think of as a smaller entrant right now. Somebody is going to put the formula here together because this seems to be an idea with traction. Yeah, John. I, yeah, and this it's kind of a. Going away, mm-hmm. you know, Austin Lieberman's gave us a question on Twitter asking about what's kind of the realistic total addressable market for this space or the liability considerations. How should we invest in that? You know, maybe kind of lumping that together. How should investors look at this space going forward? What should they really pay attention to? And, you know, if you were going to put some money to work in the next 18 months in this market, where did, where would be the first place that you'd really look for those ideas? In this market, meaning micro-mobility? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, uh, this, this yeah, industry uh, space. I, I'm looking. I'm looking at who's making the scooters. Uh, I'm look. I'm watching companies like Bird and Lime to see if either of them or other entrants like them are starting to get critical mass or are finding ways to to monetize uh, their sunk costs, their platforms, their their software platforms, their mechanics and chargers and so forth, as we just talked about. Uh, I'm, I'm looking for the company that's going to find an edge somewhere, whether it's a profitability edge or an edge that makes me choose the bird scooter over the lime scooter or, you know, whatever, expanding to the whole competitive set. Um, so there I'm going to look at hardware makers. And I'm also going to look at, uh, you know, we, we had a suggestion from a reader. Is there an insurance play here? Uh, maybe there is. Maybe that's the way to, to get into this. Um I, I think, again, we just need to watch how it expands, but watch also uh, the companies that seem to be doing something a little differently because uh, there will be a lot of tinkering and some of the tinkering will turn out to be uh, ways to really improve margins. Yeah, John, this is going to be an, uh, you know, an industry and a space that really evolves over time. You know, I know for our listeners, we've really thrown a lot at you today, um, but hopefully this is a good primer you know, on the micromobility space going forward. I know we'll have a lot more to talk about 
um, in this whole area, you know, just over the next few months, you know, Lyft started filing its IPO papers, you know, this past week. So I'm sure we'll have you back on uh, later on, John, to kind of discuss mm-hmm. that and keep following uh, these developments. Yep. Indeed. Uh, just just one last thought. I mean, this is one of those places where a lot of people are banging their heads against the idea of how do we invest here. And I think some clearer pictures will emerge over time. But but I know it's frustrating. I wish we could say, you know, buy Bird. That's the way to go. We can't yet. Uh, not only because Bird isn't public, but because it's not clear that Bird is going to be the company that 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 walks away with with the best margins here. Awesome, John. We'll we'll keep we'll keep tracking that going forward, and I'm sure I'll have you on here uh, here in the future to, to discuss it. Um, as always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any of the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. For John Rosevere, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. Mm-hmm.